The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, this week is no exception. Today we're going to talk about what it takes to make it in this crazy world as a freelance writer, journalist, interviewer, etc. And my special guest is somebody who's done it. He's one of the best, if not the best, interviewer of all time. He's written over 36 in-depth interviews for Playboy magazine with some of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Everybody from Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Marlon Brando, Patty Hearst, Jesse Ventura, Saul Bellow, Allen Ginsberg, Joan Collins, Grace Jones, John Houston, Barbara Streisand, Henry Winkler, His list goes on and on. Elliot Gould, I think, did I mention him? Warren Beatty, Lucille Ball, Cher. He's just the best. And his name is Larry Grobel. He's been on the show before. He even interviewed me on one segment on Guys Guys Radio. And kind of we flipped flipped roles and turned the tables. And uh, he asked some really good questions. And he gets to the heart of who his guest is. And it's my thrill to have him back here. He's got a new book he put out. And he's been... He's put out over 30 books, novels, uh, books about his interviewing, uh, books about his travels. And this book is kind of a compilation of his career, his travels, his interviews, and a lot of his kind of sagely wisdom, him looking back as to what he learned from those areas of his life. And he's still at it. And the name of the book is Hustle, and it's aptly named because Larry Grobel hustles. And he's always thinking in the box and out of the box and how to really keep going and get the work out there and get the content to people because he's got a lot to say, and he's a really interesting, articulate guy. And I've come to know him over the last couple of years. He's been super helpful to me. He's been a great interview on Guys Guys Radio. He's very easy to talk to, and uh, I'm sure you will see that he just opens up and runs with it. And I like to let him do that because he's fascinating. So Larry Grobel is my return guest today on Guys Guys Radio. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. I hope everybody's uh, well, making the turn into uh, Indian summer and fall, wherever you may be. It's been a long summer. I love this time of year. I talk about it every week on the show because I love it so much. And I make sure out here in Southern California, I get outside every day. I get to the beach or the pool or whatever every time I can because I know, you know, in a month or so, things change a little bit. And out here, at least, you got to put on the wetsuit and all. It's not the end of the world. But in a lot of places, the leaves turn, the chill comes in, and uh, then we hit, we hit good old winter, the holidays and all that stuff. So, but until then, Let's really enjoy ourselves. Let's make sure we get outside and breathe the fresh air and do some grounding and really, you know, enjoy the earth and enjoy our time here because things go quickly, as you know, folks. So Guys Guys Radio, my special guest is one of the best interviewers, if not the best of all time. Fascinating guy, Larry Grobel. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation about his new book, Hustle. Hustle. 
It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, the interview portion of our show. And today we're going to talk about making it as a freelance writer with uh, one of my favorite people, uh, a career mentor, if you will. I think the world's greatest interviewer of all time. His name is Larry Grobel. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's been on the show a few times before. He's the author of 32 books. His new book is called Hustle, The Making of a Freelance Writer. He's so many honors, including National Endowment of the Arts Fellowship for his fiction, Special Achievement Awards from Penn for his conversations with Capote, Playboy with his interviews, Barbara Streisand, Dolly Parton, Marlon Brando, Al Pacino. It just goes on and on. We could spend the entire show talking about Larry's books and Larry's awards, but he's here back on Guys Guys Radio because he continues to work. He continues to churn out quality content. I really like this book because it's about uh, the struggles and the challenges of being a freelance writer, and particularly in today's market, and some of the things Larry had to do along the way to break through and keep things going because the life of a writer isn't always as glamorous as some of you folks might think out there. So welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, my friend and mentor, Larry Grobel. Nice to see you, Robert. And welcome back to the United States. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, as I had mentioned on my social media, we went through a family trip. My mother-in-law wanted to get everybody together. She's in Korea. She travels everywhere. She said, let's all meet in Hamburg, Germany. And we'll take a uh, we'll take a cruise up the fjords and through Norway. We'll stop at Copenhagen, and then we, everybody split up from there, from around the world. And my wife and my son, we went to Istanbul because we were taking Turkish Airlines, and so we figured let's stay there for four days. And it was quite the experience. But I don't want to spend any more time on that because I'm here for you, Larry. Let's talk about your book, uh, Hustle: Making of a Freelance Writer. You continue to kind of break the paradigm, if you will, of how writers uh, work. And you've gone back and you've kind of published some of your books on your own. You continue to put out screenplays. Tell us about your thinking that kind of moved you in this direction. Well, you know, uh, the first dozen or 15 of my books were published commercially by New American Library, Scribner's, uh, Simon & Schuster, Random House, the University of Mississippi Press, uh, Cooper Square, to Capo, I, had, I I I was doing pretty well with with those books, but what happened is everybody, all, all the publishers wanted me to do is write, you know, big biographies on celebrities. Um, my agents, were, you know, I would say I'm writing a a book of poetry. Uh, I don't want to see it. I'm writing a, a novel. No, nobody's going to read your novel. And it just went on like that, and I get frustrated. I kept saying, why am I having to be limited as a writer? to writing about other people's lives. I have other things I want to say. I have other, you know, I, and, and it just, uh, I, I just thought, well, maybe that it's with this new uh, self-publishing, I was aware that, of how many famous writers over the years published their own stuff, you know, I mean, I, and I can see the frustration of, you know, we have one life to live and and uh, do, uh, to get a book published by any of these major publishers usually took about a year. One, you, you write the book, you finish the book, then they have that they, they were their department works on it and it takes about a year to get it out. I've had two instances where books came out fast. The Capote book came out four or five months after he died. And uh, the, the book I did on uh, with Montel Williams climbing higher about his MS uh, that came out very quickly. But other than that, the books take a while. And I had so much material in my mind that I wanted to do. 
So um, it started with Ava Gardner. Uh, Amazon offered me, a made an interesting offer to me. You know, they were looking for some writers uh, who were a little bit established, I guess. And and they said, we'll, we'll let you publish anything you want uh, and we'll help you, you know, uh, get it out the way you want it. And so I tried that with the with my Ava Gardner book, and they did a nice job with it. And I got the Ava Gardner uh, people to uh, allow me to use pictures from her from, of her, so that was nice. And that book did very well, and and it continues to do well. And I say well, I'm saying one copy a day, two copies a day over the years. Every time I check, somebody gets it all over the world, and I hear from people. I don't make a lot of money, you know, I mean, uh, but but I, 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 I get feedback and, and I realized this is an interesting thing. Now I wanted to write my memoir. Nobody cared about who I was. Nobody knew my name, really. They know my work, but people don't know who I am. Um, and that's the life of an interviewer, in a sense. But so I, I wrote a memoir. Uh, I put it out. And what, little by little, I started putting out these books. I felt so glad the way I was doing it. I And again, I wasn't building up a great audience. I don't advertise. Uh, the only thing I ever do is do something like this. I talk on, on you know, on a podcast. Uh, sometimes people will look at the book. I always thought that Facebook, you know, would be a good, people tell me how important it is to have a social media, you know, uh, presence. I was talking to an agent just the other day because I have a very commercial idea next and, and I'm thinking about it. So I got in touch with an agent and he's saying to me, I told him, yeah, I have 3000 followers on Facebook. And he left. You know, he said, I just try to pitch a, a, a writer who has a million followers and they're not interested. So, I mean, it's crazy. What's going out there is crazy. Do I want to let that determine how I write? Do I want to let, you know, uh, uh, either stop writing altogether because I give up on that kind of stuff or do I just keep doing what I do and so I'm happy doing what I do I, I the books are they look good I just put out a book and this is an interesting little story it's it's not a sidelight really because it's part of the hustle when I was in the Peace Corps I was in Ghana in the, in, and I was teaching at the Ghana Institute of Journalism and I did it for three years and I wrote a book called Turquoise why, why did I call it Turquoise? Because a man named Vincent Kofi, he was a sculptor. I interviewed him for African Arts Magazine, and it's in this new book, the, that, that particular piece. And I asked him, what is, what is um, truth in art? And he looked and he says, you know, truth is like the color turquoise. He says, under artificial light, it's one color. Under sunlight, it's another color. And I thought right then I knew that was a good title for a book, because especially a book about my, my time in Africa. Because my experience and my perceptions and what I have to say about Ghanaians and Americans and whatever is definitely not what a Ghanaian would say if he was writing that book. You know, it's a completely different perspective. So that was my that's why I call it turquoise, because it's my opinion. And and so um, I, I put I wrote this book. Uh, Doubleday was interested in it while I was in Ghana. Uh, I, so I finished writing it. I came back, went to Doubleday, and the guy who wanted it, the editor, uh, was gone. And nobody knew who I was. I had no agent, no nothing. So I was disappointed, and I didn't think about selling it anywhere else. I just started writing magazine stuff really early in my career. So I I put it away. And when I started writing short stories during the pandemic, and I got into this incredibly creative moment in my life where I wrote 90 stories. Uh, but I remembered I had written some stories when I was in Ghana. So I went to my files. I looked up to find those stories. 
And lo and behold, there's turquoise. There's the my manuscript underneath it. And I said, it's a big manuscript. It was about 400 pages. So I started reading through it. And I said, you know, I can take out a lot of this stuff, but a lot of this stuff seems to work. So I did. And I started putting it together. I knew the cover I wanted, which was a turquoise-looking cover of a photograph I took in Tahiti of the of, of the sea, of the ocean. It was beautiful. And and um, and I wanted it to look like James Joyce's Ulysses, the first edition of Ulysses, which is that turquoise cover. It just said Ulysses on top and the name on the bottom. So I wanted it to say turquoise in my name. And um, uh, so I, I put it out. And just a few months ago, actually a few weeks ago, the Peace, Book, Peace Corps Worldwide named it the best memoir of the year, <laughs> 55 years later. So, you know, here it is. This uh, I read the, But isn't that a nice comment? Yeah, it's beautiful. And we I talked love- about this. We we did a whole show on this, Larry. Yeah. So uh, we're, let's, but, uh, let's, yeah, let's, but, let's, but, but, so, so you're asking me, so, you know, what, you know, what, why am I doing what I'm doing? Yes. That. It's that I have material. I don't know who's going to publish anything anymore. I'm tired of dealing with agents. I try. I, I'm just, again. I'm just dealing with an agent all of a sudden again because I have a project and I and I want to. I have something for the New Yorker. You can't get into the New Yorker as a freelance writer. Almost, it's almost impossible. Zero point one percent nonfiction. Forget it. You can you, you can send in fiction, but they you you can't even send in your fiction to New York unless you have someone doing it for you. So I just wrote a letter to David Remnick, <laughs> the editor of The New Yorker. Right. I said, I got something I think belongs in The New Yorker. Take You want to take a look at it. That's all I, you know, and I told him what it was about. Um, bottom line, it's about my journal. I've been keeping a journal for, for 47 years since I started with Barbara Streisand. And it's really detailed. It's 5 million words, 10,000 pages. And it's everything I've ever done with all these people, but on a much deeper level. Uh, than anything I've ever published. And I never knew what I was going to do with it. But now I started realizing, I, I maybe I should publish this as a journal. I'll, I'll burn a lot of bridges, but I'm old enough. <laughs> so how would you, uh, Larry, how would you uh, consolidate that into a New Yorker article? Or would it be a series? No, well, that's that would be up to them. But the point is, is that I I have been working on it now. I'm trying to cut out 95 percent of it. That's how much <laughs> because, because it's I'm trying to I'm, for for a two volume book. I need to cut out that much, you know. And I've been working on it for for six months now, and I've I've got 1976 to 1985 done. And you know, I mean, I'm sitting here. I mean, every every I'll give you an example here. This. Is is what my journal looks like, right? I mean, it's this is just pages and pages of of journal, and this is just from J- January to May, nineteen eighty six. When would you write uh, the write in your journal? Did you have a routine where, like, every morning you get up at I a tried, certain time? I, well, it, usually it was when when I had something on my mind, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it could be any time. You know, Al Pacino would call me, and we had a two hour conversation. After we got off the phone, I would write down what we talked about. Same thing with Dolly Parton. Same thing with 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 Patty Hearst or with with uh, Marlon Brando. He I had a lot of conversations with him. So I would you know sometimes I'd have a pen with me. I would take notes as we talked. Um, just because so much of what was said was so interesting, and it was like you know I mean it's not I, I'm not going to include all the betrayal type of things. I'm not going to make you know uh, I mean Al and I talked about his his uh, his personal life a lot. Uh, all the women in his life. I'm not going to put a lot of that in. I don't. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, especially uh, the children that, that, that of these sure. people. 
Um, but there's so much about, you know, pictures he turned down. Why did, you know, what did, why did Dustin Hoffman do this? Well, how did Paul Newman take this? It was because Al turned all this stuff down. Then we talked about it. You know, did he, uh, it's interesting. It's a very good behind the scenes thing. Pavarotti came to my house. You know, I had 35 different major celebrities come to my house for dinner, uh, for for conversation, whatever. It was Angelina. Oh, let me ask you, let me ask you this, Larry. Why, you know, you've interviewed 36, I believe, uh, full-blown interviews for Playboy magazine and so many others, uh, including the book about Brando, Ava Gardner, uh, Capote. Why do you think that these hard to get to stars who don't want to talk to people like on Guys Guys Radio, I have people who come on, they want to sell something. They want to come on for the most part. Sometimes right. I have to chase them down. But in your case, they didn't want to talk to people, but they talked to you. Why do you think that was, Larry Grobel? You know, that's that's a it's a question. It's not that easy to answer. But in another sense, I look at it this way. I had a lot of other experiences. My time in Ghana, three years. Dolly Parton was fascinated about ghosts, right? And I had encounters with people who had encounters with ghosts. Brando, when, when I talked to him on the phone, he was trying to figure out, should he talk to me or not? And, when I, and you know, when I said I was in Ghana for a couple of years, he kept asking me about my background, am I liberal, am I conservative, you know? And when he, when he heard about some of my stories, okay, he, he got interested in talking to me. And, and so at one point, you know, I think once I did the Brando one, Every, it opened up a lot of doors. Everybody wanted to talk to me because I had talked to Brando and everybody had a, a you sure. know, especially the acting world, they love Brando. Um, I'm easy to talk to. I, I, I'm very, I do a lot of research. So the once, uh, you know, once I broke in with, with, in, in with Playboy, it was Streisand, Dolly Parton and, and Marlon Brando and Henry Winkler was in there too. Uh, those were the first four interviews I did. Well, people, Got they got a lot of attention, and people saw that I wasn't out to get anybody. I was there to really do some deep research and to get people to open up in ways they never did before. Um, so I think um, the work itself show you know showed th that uh, they could trust me. Um, and a lot of times it's difficult for people to trust, you know. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, I'm you're always nervous when you do a big interview, you know, because you don't know what you're going getting into. But if you can show, if you can demonstrate that you're prepared and that you're, you know, you're there for the long run, so to speak, you know, um, you know, and you're trying to do the best job you can. I think they respect that because they also see their legacy. And when they mm -hmm. see their legacy, like Barbara Streisand said, the Playboy interview is the biggest interview. It's the Bible. And a lot of people felt that way. Playboy doesn't even exist right now. It's a shame. But, you know, the the, the magazine. Okay. Um, but, all right, Larry Grobel, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. I want to get a lot of uh, questions in for you, Larry, so forgive me for intruding oh, <laughs> for, no. for a moment. Um, I look at your career, and I look back. There's your career career, your travels where you've gone to, uh, and you've written about them, to uh, Colombia, New Zealand, Vancouver, uh, Ghana, yeah. of course, Tecate, Mexico, and other places. So that's one part of your your life, if you will. The trajectory of your writing career that started out when you were selling encyclopedias day to day, door to door, you were, you know, you had to be a salesman. You still have to be a salesman in a way. Your celebrity interviews and your fiction, you have a great novel called Catch a Fallen Star, which if you read between the lines, you might be able to figure out who these stars are that are in the book. But it was terrific. I really enjoyed that novel. Looking back at the interview portion of your career and looking at today. Who would you want to interview right now? 
Well, Bob Dylan was always the one I wanted to interview in, in depth. Uh, but I'll tell you, there's so many people right now. There's Trump. There's there, there's even Mitch McConnell before he dies. You know, I mean, there are so many uh, of the right wing Republicans that, you know, when he was alive and when I was doing Playboy, uh, they agreed for me to do Rush Limbaugh. And I got ready for Rush Limbaugh and he got scared. He took, you know, he 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 backed away. Um, which is a shame because I, you know, this is a guy who, you know, he has his opinions and I, none of them I agreed with, but that was fine. You know, these are the, you know, I figured I'd get some good interviews, you know, good, good conversation going. Um, but you know, I mean, I really, Ted Cruz curdles my stomach, but (laughs) would I interview him? Yes. Would I go at Marjorie Taylor Greene? Yes. I would do all those things if I could, but who I would prefer to do is Don DeLillo. Cormac McCarthy just passed, so you know that that's a shame. Um, but um, you know, I look at who are the writers right now that I would like to do. Who are the uh, uh, scientists? I look at each field, and I think of who's you know, uh, uh, Fauci would be, would be a pretty interesting one because he's also now controversial. They're going after him. You know what he did? I think he did a remarkable job in in full, uh, you know, both with AIDS and and with with COVID. Um, but you know, Jim Jordan. I I can't figure this guy out. You know, I mean, it's just, I'm a, I, I can't believe it. But so I, I'm starting to watch Fox now because these people are on all the time. And and you know, Stephen Miller, this he's a kind of a vampire guy. They're trying to bring down Biden. You know, they rather than do what's right for the country, rather than get you know pass the bills and get you know get the pharmaceuticals down, get all the do deal with climate change. Is it a hoax? Is is Trump's right? I'm looking out at, at New York right now. It's 96 degrees. It's like crazy. What's happening in California? We we have problems that have to be taken care of. So yeah, there are those kinds of people that I would like to talk to. Um, would you Would you do so, Larry? Because uh, and I don't necessarily agree with your perspective on Fauci and some of these other guys. Right, I'm not. Right. I don't do any politics on the show. I'm not. Personally, I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. I go by issue. And it's very difficult, I think, right now in our climate, because, you know, the the Democrats have been liberal, yet they have been repressive in terms of getting other points of view out there. And I don't like that. And Republicans have been supposedly fiscally responsible in the past when I was growing up, and they they spend a lot now. And uh, there's issues with their blind following of Trump with all the issues there. It's like, come on, it's time to move on. If you interviewed Trump, what would be like the three questions you'd really want to ask him? Well, that I I, I wouldn't even try right now because I because first of all, I spend a lot of time thinking about the questions I'm going to ask. You know, I mean, so off the top of my head, there are no three questions. What I'm trying to do with a guy like Trump is is talk to him. You know, it's like I did Bobby Knight and Bobby Knight and Trump to me are very close in, in that mm-hmm. way. I would have to compliment Trump. I would have to get him to trust me. It would take me a day, you know, of a, of a couple of hours to get to to blow him up, make him feel I'm I'm with him all the way. Let let's talk about any accomplishment that anybody said he's done and let's go into that. And then once he feels I've gotten stuff, you know, from him that is decent, I would start to, you know, talk about it. I would like to know, you know, I would like to bring up the lies. I mean, was it the, the I don't know if it was the New York Times or the whatever that did this thing where he, he had 5,800 lies in a period of time of two years. I mean, it's incredible. 
But, you know, is the does the man understand lying? Does he understand morality? Does he have any kind of ethical mm-hmm. feelings? Feel about it? Does he care about anybody but himself? What about these people who can't afford? They're going to jail now because they can't afford their legal fees. And and here's he's, he's getting millions of dollars off of, you know, getting indicted and stuff. He's not helping, you know, Giuliani. He's not helping Mark Meadows. Are they going to turn on him? Are they going to finally get a little out of him? Who knows? But how selfish is this man? How does he deal with his children? What is the, you know, and there's gotcha. a lot of questions, you know, that talk to him about. But, you know, there's somebody else I would love to interview is Otani, uh, the baseball player. Yes. Mm-hmm. Otani might be the greatest ball player we've ever seen. And if he, you know, he, he's hurt his, his shoulder. We don't know if he's going to be pitching anymore this year. But, but you know, this is a phenomenon. And he's, you know, my my wife being Japanese, I take her to the interview because I need help with the language so he can feel free to talk. Um, but if you could give me Tom Waits, Bob Dylan, and 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 okay. Otani. Let's say, how about Dylan? Because Dylan, I every time I've seen an interview, he's very he's very careful and he doesn't Absolutely. give a lot. How would you? Absolutely. I guess you'd want to spend some time with him to get to open up. Is, what, yes. would you, what would you want to get him to open up about? Look. Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize in Literature and didn't, you know, and didn't show up. You know, he he sent somebody there for to speak for him. Yeah, that's kind of unusual, isn't it? I mean, that's a very peculiar thing to say. Oh, I can't make that date or something. Well, you know, I I, I wonder if he was embarrassed by that. If he, you know, he's a great lyricist. He's a great writer. But he's not. A, is he? A, is he a Hemingway? Is he a James Joyce? Is he? A, I don't know. But how does he feel? And does he did, did he feel humbled by it in a way that he didn't go to, to do that? Um, Dylan is just someone I would love to to dive into into his brain as much as I could creatively. You know, I would definitely look at all the lyrics as I would with Tom Waits and 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 bring up little you know things here and there. What did this mean? You know, obviously he was influenced by carnivals. You know, and and there's a lot of carnival stuff in his in his tambourine man and his other ones. You know, you you have these images and you know the jingle jangle morning. I'll be coming. Well, where did these images right. come from? And mm-hmm. I know they came from from his from things he had seen. And I think I, that would be interesting to bring out. You know, where you know what is his creative development? But he's also a very good artist. And I've seen his. Show, I've been in Poland and they had a huge show of his. I, and I have the catalog of his of his stuff. Everything sells for a million dollars that he write that he draws. But he also makes gates. He does iron gates and stuff. There's a lot of things to explore with him. And politically, you know, I mean, he was very you know involved with you know Hurricane Ruben Carter. Uh, you know, he he he. he his lyrics are often very political as well. Yes. Um, and I, I, you know, we're in a troubled time and Dylan sort of is the spokesman of our generation. I would love to get him to talk about things uh, in, in ways that I think would be interesting to explore. Um, um, again, a big challenge. It would be a big challenge. I'd have to listen to everything he ever did, which I do. I listen to all the time, mm-hmm. but I have to listen, go into the lyrics, go into that, look, read his book, Chronicles again, and, and you know, and all the books about him. That's how I work, you know, and then I, I would try to look for the kernels of things that that, that might spark, uh, spark in his imagination. That would be the challenge. All right. Larry Grobel, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. And as you can see, we have a fast moving, very interesting conversation. Larry's interviewed Mae West, Lucille Ball, Carol Burnett, Cher, Louise Lasser, Steve Allen, Merv Griffin, Warren Beatty, Elliot Gould, Paul McCartney, I believe. 
Paul no. McCarthy. Paul, Paul McCarthy, <laughs> the, the artist, the, artist, the uh, avant-garde artist, the uh, performance artist, right. And um, you've uh, Hugh Hefner, Pacino, De Niro, Brando, Patty Hearst, Jesse Ventura. What was he like? Well, Jesse Ventura, you know, this is a guy who it was wore, a controversial uh, interview. Right? Yeah, it was one of my most controversial. That one and um, uh, but the Bob Knight, one of the two most controversial interviews I ever did. And but Jesse Ventura uh, was the governor. He was only governor for a few months when I went to see him. And, um, you know, I went to uh, to Minnesota. I went to his office. Uh, we we got along very well. And and then. I started asking about all the different things he had said and whatever. And and uh, I never thought what he was saying was that controversial. In other words, he did talk about, you know, uh, religion is uh, an opiate for the people, basically, for, for weak minded. It's like a crutch for weak minded people. One of those really remarks that just piss off people who are religious. Um, he talked about fat people that, you know, you want to stop being fat, push away from the table. I mean, he, he just said these things. He talked about, uh, uh an incident with the, in, in the Navy, you know, that guys grab women's asses. Well, so what, you know, that kind of a, a thing. So, um, and he was into, he believed in, um, uh, Kennedy's assassination, you know, as a conspiracy and, you know, and all this. So he had a lot of controversial things that he did say. And when you put it all together in an interview and it comes, it just like one thing after another. And to my surprise, when that interview happened, uh, three or four days before it actually, uh, came out in Playboy or a week before they, they put it out on the Associated Press. And and I started getting phone calls at five in the morning from people in New York. And I had uh, you know, people wanted to talk to me. I didn't even know why. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, your interview with Governor Ventura, I said, hasn't come out yet. And they knew, but they hadn't seen it. And so I was suddenly uh, on TV or on every possible channel during the day, during in the evening. I was on uh, the Geraldo Rivera show. I was on CNN. I was on ABC. It was amazing. But so was Jesse Ventura talking about it. And he kept saying, listen to Larry Grobel. He says, it's a, you know, you should. I didn't say anything that, that I didn't say. And he was just a, he was affirming what I had done. And then some months later, I get an, an email, uh, a call from his people saying uh, that dinner that you could you said you could put together with Oliver Stone. Uh, Jesse's going to be in uh, in L.A. in June. Can uh, can you still do that? This is after the interview. His his popularity was 70 percent when I interviewed him after the Playboy interview was 49 percent. He didn't run again. Right. So in a certain way, he could have really been pissed off at me. But he wasn't. He you know, he accepted what he said as what he said. And it, and it was fair to interview. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I put together the scene. He, he, he thought he wanted Oliver Stone because Oliver Stone had done uh, the JFK movie. So I called Oliver Stone and he said, yeah, he would come. I called Robert Town, the, who was a great screenwriter. I thought that would be a good addition. And we had dinner at my house and he came the day before he came. The, the limousines come with um, with uh, all the uh, Secret Service people. And they had to come through my house. <laughs> this is for a guy with a wrestler. And they're checking my house to make sure I don't have any ammunition, any guns, whatever. So, so you know, and. and what was he like? He was a decent guy. He was fun to talk to. Um, you know, I saw him afterwards. I continued, you know, I interviewed him for other things later on. Um, yeah, I, 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 I found him entertaining when he came here, his, he came with his wife and kid as well. And, and, uh, his, they, they brought a really nice bottle of wine. They come in the house and his wife says, 
I don't know what we're doing here. I hated that interview. She said, uh-huh. <laughs> and Jesse said, why are you, why are you yelling at Larry? He says, I said those things. So, you know, decent, decent person and fun to okay. talk. Um, looking back, a lot of your writing is about your travel. Um, I, I mentioned some of the places you've been to and you, you, you include them in the book. The book, um, Hustle, uh, covers a lot of ground. It covers your career. There's the title. There's the book right there for those who are watching on YouTube and Rumble. Um, you cover your interviews, some of the key interviews. You cover the, your career as a writer and also your travel and your teaching at Rancho La Puerta. What, in a, succinctly, what have you gotten out of travel that's really helped you in your life? What does travel, travel do is, for you? It's extremely important, as you know. You've just you just had a trip. I think what 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 it does, especially my time in Ghana, that was the most important because that was three years, and then I spent eight more months traveling around the world. Um, so I've seen most of the continents. I've seen m- much of the world, and I felt when I left college, when I was at UCLA, I tried to write a novel. I had a professor who said, I, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "I'd like to write a novel." He says, "Well, go ahead and write a hundred pages. If it's no good, screw it." Can't believe 100 pages so i wrote i wrote a novel and i got it was about a young kid who went to college you know it was my life <laughs> I, I put myself fiction and i got i wrote about 150 pages and then i ran out of stuff you know i mean i ran out of things i didn't finish and i realized i need experience i need the experience and what it and what what would give me experience traveling I went to Europe, you know, I mean, I, I I went to every museum I could, you know, I saw all the things I did. My wife wants to go, we were talking about going to Japan soon. She says, well, she wants to go to all the, you know, the, the, the churches and the, the, what do you call it? The, uh, I said, no, I don't want to do that. I've done that already. Let's, let's just look, watch the people. Let's go to small towns and just look at people. Um, because I think people are different in Ethiopia. When I was there and I saw a woman making a basket and I, I bought this basket, I have it. You, she, you, you could put milk in the basket. That's how tight the bottom is. The hole at the bottom is is so tight. Very well made. Um, so uh, to me, it, so much of my experience and so much of what allowed me to talk to all the people are getting back to why do people want to talk to me? Because I have all these experiences. I was in India. I saw, you know, this, this ceremony where the men all dressed up with green and blue paint and they dress up as you know, women and 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 they do these kinds of uh, uh, dances. I, you know, always blowing my mind. I was always strict, uh, struck by how, how different things were, how people perceived you, what, how, when, did, who invited you into their homes, and who didn't want any you you to come near them. Or were they afraid of you because you were American, or did they welcome you? What so over well, the years, Larry? What's your biggest epiphany? about people from traveling worldwide. And I've done uh, some of the same, not quite on the scale as yourself, but I have my own take on it. But what would be kind of a generalization or takeaway, a key insight that you have about people? Because, you know, a lot of people in our country are somewhat, and I say this not in a negative way, provincial in that the U.S. has so much that a lot of people who live in the United States don't go anyplace else because you it's so vast, it's so diverse in a way, yet in other ways, it's not at all. So what have you gotten out of your world travel? Well, the thing about speaking about Americans, I read somewhere that I I don't know if it's like 4% or 8% of Americans have passports. I mean, some very low amount of people have passports. It's amazing to me because, you know, people are, you know, they're comfortable where they could speak. So maybe they'll go to England if they could, if they have a passport, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because, but, but a lot, you know, a lot of the world doesn't speak English. 
a lot of it does. You can get by with somebody will always be able to speak English somewhere in the world. But there are places I've been where, you know, you, you they just don't. You know, I mean, uh, when you go outside of the Accra in Ghana, most people, you know, are speaking their 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 dialects. You know, again, you're asking me you're asking me questions that are difficult to respond to is like an epiphany of what the travel is. <laughs> My my overall sense of what travel is and why I encourage whenever I was teaching, go. I talk about the Peace Corps, go in there because your eyes will open, your will change, your life will change in different ways, depending on where you end up going. If you're going to a small town in China, if you're going to go to South America, if you're going to go, you're, you're always going to see something different, even if it's the way somebody chews on a stick. You know, I mean, they clean their teeth with a chewing stick. They don't use toothpaste or a toothbrush. You didn't know that? How about when you have to go to the bathroom? They use a corn cob with their left hand only to wipe themselves. Did you know that? I mean, there's so many things. Like in, in India, you know, people get used to the cows in the, to a point where, you know, when I got used to it, or when I realized I was there for a while, I spent a few months in India, was when I was in a small town in Udaipur and a cow was in front of me and I was looking my uh, another way and the cow my foot i was wearing a sandal and i couldn't see my foot that and and these indians were, were sitting there on you know on the ground selling their peanuts or whatever they were doing and they were watching me to see my reaction and my reaction was to be very casual about it you know sure. i mean i was constantly learning when i was was there i was always seeing something i didn't know before that's my epiphany in a sense is that it's the world is wide and it's broad and it's there to to, to take in and then you get to start having romances. I've had romances with with women in Africa and in Europe and in you know South America. I've been lucky in that way. You know, before I got married, uh, that's what happened. I married a Japanese woman. Why? Because I was open to it. You know what I mean? And I and I feel I understand people better because I got to know them and I got to live with them and I got well, to. Let, let me ask you this, Larry. And ask ask her that. What would be then? a generalization, if you will, an epiphany about people through your travels worldwide. I always say, you know, people are people. And based on the conditions they're in, they may behave the cultural consciousness in an area. I'm, I'm from New Jersey, lived in New York. You're a New Yorker also. To me, there's no place that's in your face like New York. It is the place. If you can make it there, you can make I it do. anywhere. And it's it's exciting. There's an energy. Even the guy flipping the pizza has it has like an intensity about him. It's just no place like it um, for better and sometimes for worse. When I got away from it, I realized, wow, people aren't like in your face all the time. They'll ask you like I come out to San Diego and they're like, how is the, what are you going to do with the rest of your day? I can I couldn't get hello back in the elevator in the building I lived in in New York. And here people well, are asking me, I don't right. know if they care or not, but. And then you go overseas and everybody seems a little bit more overtly on the surface, a little more genteel, a little more civilized, if you will. And I put that in quotes. It's not necessarily how that plays through, but just from the initial contact in New York, it's like bang. And well, uh, other places, it's not quite like that. And I love New York. It's in my heart. I'll always be a New Yorker. So as I travel, I'm always traveling as a New Yorker. And I'm like in wonder, like, wow, somebody's nice. Here. These people are nice. And like, I know they may not be when you get down to the nitty gritty, but there seems to be a different way in terms of interacting with people on the surface. I well, I, I found, first of all, that people uh, who are poor. Are more generous. Yes, they, they're more open. I've been to homes. 
I've been in places in Africa where they don't have, you know, they eat with their hands. But if I was there, they would go out and make sure they bring a, they find a fork. Mm -hmm. And they, and I would say, no, 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 I don't want to eat with the fork. And then I looked at their faces and they were crestfallen because they were, they were happy to, you know, to do this. They went out of their way. So I would use the fork because I saw, you know, you, you know, it, it's, people will give you something. If they have, if they have a piece of bread, they'll give you half. If they, in, in Ghana, there was a thing where you would, you, when you visited somebody, I used to have people come to my house, students or whatever, or just people I got to meet. I had a, I had a nice place. I was living in an apartment. It was a, a duplex in a house. I'd walk them to the door. Sometimes I'd go to the, you know, outside to, down the steps, say goodbye, and they would walk away. And and then once once somebody said to me, "How come you you leave people so you know so abruptly?" I said, "What are you talking about?" They said, "Well, in Ghana, you usually accompany the person halfway back to their destination. Isn't that something?" That's great. I had no idea. But after I did that, I understood. So if they weren't taking a taxi home, if they're walking, I always walked them halfway back. Men often took held hands. It wasn't a gay thing. It was just a natural thing. So sometimes I'd be walking with someone and they would take my hand. And at first I was like, what, what's this? You know, I would, <laughs> right, right. And then I, and I asked about it and I would realize this is the way it is in, in this country. So there is a sense of, and also, you know, with children, if a child misbehaves, you can discipline that child. In America, you will go to discipline someone else's child. They're going to come and arrest you. You know, they're going to, you know, they'll they'll file a suit against you. You know, there's a different way, the way the world works in different places. Uh, and it is a more uh, open, generous kind of place. Now, it's not necessarily that way among themselves. You know what I mean? I'm talking mm -hmm. as an outsider coming in. They're generous. They're nice. I got invited into everybody's homes everywhere I went. You know, um, in India, you know, talking about, you know, what they ask you, people come up to you and they say they want to know where you're from. And, do you know, do you believe in any kind of God or whatever it is they, they, they may want to ask you? And then what's what? how high is your education? They wanted to know. And if you said you you just had a BA in something, that's one thing. But I found if you had a PhD, that was another, you know, then you'd be invited as a special guest. I would be making up letters. Sometimes I said, I have an <laughs> MML and a, T, a QRS. Oh, come on in. Come on in. So, you know, but it, it's just different. And, you know, and we are a xenophobic country. We are, you know, we, we you know, we don't trust other people. Look at what happened when Trump came in and he says, you know, the Muslims are, the, uh, are, are terrible people. We got to do a ban against them, against all of them, because there's a, a few bad people out there. You know, it, it's a it's a tough world right now. And, you know, I travel, I hitchhiked around the world. I got, I, you know, I went into strange cars. I went into strange homes. You can't do that too much anymore, no. especially if they're American. They'll kidnap you and they'll take, you know, in, in Colombia, you know, they'll they'll. They kidnap you just for your, you know, so someone will send money to get you out. So you don't know, you know, anymore how the world is. But, you know, we haven't made it a better place, you know, and that's unfortunate. Well, there's still some time for that. So let's uh, let's let's Hope. hold hold our patience a little bit. Uh, <laughs> last question for you. The book is uh, Hustle. The you know challenge is really of a freelance writer. What is the takeaway that you want your readers to have from it? Because it's so it's it's so artful. The book spans. To me, it's like a Larry Grobel sampler. You've got interviews, you've yeah. got travel, you've got uh, about your career, some of your philosophies. 
Tell us what you want the takeaway to be from the reader. Well, you know, it, when I was thought of doing this book, it's that the free, freelance writing. When I was teaching, I always said, if you can do, if you can be a freelance person, you have you you make your own rules, you make your own time, you get to you know you budget, you know, if you can afford to do this, you know, and if you and but how do you do it? It's very hard to do. And I did it, but you know, I did it because I did it through print magazines for a great deal of my time, and then I started writing the books and teaching afterwards. But but you know, it was basically magazine work, and I got some of my magazine stuff failed. You know, I had an article that early on for Esquire, and I had an early one for Playboy, nineteen seventy three and four. And both of those got rejected or didn't get published for one reason or another. And it made me cry. I remember going upstairs in my sister's attic and I started to cry because I thought, I want to do this. And I'm, I had a chance at the big time and I blew it. And I, I then I just sort of picked myself up. I said, I'm going to. I went. Back, I went to the New York Times and I said, I can. I'd like to write an article about this bird artist or this meteorologist. And they said, okay. And 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 and. I did these articles, not for the money, because I got $75 for each of them or something. It was nothing. But I got the byline. Now, suddenly, I'm a New York Times writer. Then I drew something for True Magazine on Stuntman. So now I'm writing for another professional magazine. So that's what the book is, is trying to show you that you can pick yourself up from failure or from success. Then I did this long interview with Tony Bennett. And Tony Bennett it was for a book. And in the end, he didn't want to do the book. And and then he ended up doing a book with somebody else that came out. It was a kind of a junky thing. And I got angry. I said, why'd you do that? And he said, well, you know, this guy said, I didn't have to do say all the things that you wanted me to say in the book about my life. I said, well, so I said, you know, I didn't get paid. I didn't get paid to, to do this with you, Tony. I did it on trust. Uh, but I spent months with you and I traveled with you. And uh, so I said, I, I'd like you to you pay me for my work. And his lawyer offered me $5,000. And I said, listen, that's not enough. I said, it's not even a magazine article. I'd rather keep the, the material and use it one day. And he says, go ahead and do it. So I did. I didn't take the money. I didn't do anything. I never published it. But then I put it together. And I have a 12,000-word interview in this in this book with Tony Bennett. It is it's his good. It's great. It's, ter it's terrific, too. And 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 it's never been published before. No. So there's, there's stuff in there that, yes, it's all about travel and this and that. But it's also about... Cowboys in the Llanos in, in, in Colombia and how they, uh, you know, how did they live? These barefoot cowboys that I traveled with. Or how does this Vincent Kofi, you know, this article in the African arts or or this Black Eagle, this guy. And this is the article I did okay. for Esquire. Okay. You know, they're all different. And so that's what it's just a, to, to inspire, really. It's inspired that you could do this. It's possible. Well, as with everything else you do, it's inspirational. You've inspired me. I continue to consider you a coach and a mentor for me and a friend. And I thank you, Larry Grobel, for coming back to Guys Guys Radio. Everybody, the name of the book is Hustle, uh, The Challenges of a Freelance Journalist. There is the book, Freelance Writer. And um, oh. all of Larry's work is available. You go on Amazon or your bookstores, you're going to find it. And he's got 32 books. He's got all these interviews for Playboy. And he's just an amazing guy, an amazing talent, and a very prolific writer. And I thank you for being on the show again, for being a friend, a coach, and inspiration. Larry Grobel on Guys Guys Radio. Nice to talk to you, Robert. We'll be talking again for other things. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. It's Guys Guy Radio. All right. Another fantastic conversation with my pal, Larry Grobel. He's also my uh, mentor for me. 
and he's been uh, very helpful to me in terms of uh, everything I've learned from him, reading his books, talking to him offline, on, on the air, and he's a great interview, as well as being what I think is the, he's the world's best interviewer, because he interviews people, once again, they don't want to be interviewed, and he not only makes the connection and lands them for an interview, but he does the work, he does the prep, and he gets to the heart of who these individuals are. And it's really enlightening. It's really fun and really interesting. He's a terrific writer also. And his new book, once again, is called Hustle. It's all about how to make it in today's crazy marketplace as a freelance journalist. And I think the biggest thing we learned today from, from Larry is that, you know, Larry's, as he's mentioned, he's in his 70s, but he's full of life. He's got so much energy and he's always looking for new ways to get his work out there. You know, he works with agents and he does things on his own and he's an established name. And you just got to think out of the box and you got to hustle and you got to be open to different ideas and how to market your work. And Larry's a great example of that. He's an inspiration to me and hopefully for all of you out there who want to do their own thing and get their, you know, get their thoughts on paper or get their thoughts on the air and have something to say and how to get it out there and how to, how to build an audience and how to make a connection. So you have something that's actually valuable that adds value to people when you're doing, whether it's a show, an article, a book, or what, a course, whatever. So thank you once again, Larry Grobel, for being with us again on Guys Guys Radio. We're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio here in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time, Prime Time, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. We're on once again in Prime Time, Sunday evenings on, on KCAA at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time, you can stream, you can listen live, you can download. Um, you can also catch me on my podcast, Guys Guys Radio, my YouTube, and my Rumble. So you can watch the show, you can watch the interviews, you can listen to the entire show. We've been downloaded in over 100 countries. The YouTube channel and Rumble, they're growing quickly. And uh, thank you for subscribing. If you enjoyed the guests and content, that I bring you each and every week on Guys Guys Radio and Guys Guys TV, which is the video portion, please subscribe, follow, like, rate, re- review, whatever, wherever you consume your content uh, for Guys Guys Radio. So I really appreciate that. Appreciate that. We're also on UK Health Radio, the world's largest talk radio station in the world. It's global. It's digital. We're on four times every weekend for Guys Guys Radio. You can also listen to the show on demand. They've got a brand new website for UKHealthRadio.com. Check it out because it's got everything about all the presenters, all the shows. And and again, you can listen to our show on demand instead of at the appointed time. And you can download, listen, stream, or whatever, listen live. However you want to consume it, we're there for you for Guys Guys Radio. I also write a column uh, called Aging is a Choice, and it's for UK Health Radio's digital magazine. It's called Health Triangle Magazine, and I have a monthly column called Aging is a Choice, where I tackle kind of the culture's kind of negative perspective and skew towards aging and why it doesn't have to be that way and how your second half of your life, if you will, can be not only as good as, but even better than your first half because you have so much experience and wisdom. You know how to be more. efficient with your time and really you know how to work the work the work the game and get things done faster than when you're younger sometimes you stumble a little bit doing stuff so the name of the column 
My monthly is called Aging is a Choice. And I've got a lot of tips, things I've learned, things I do, but also about how our society and culture is really has a negative perspective about aging that doesn't have to be that way. And we can be the ones to change it, one individual at a time. You can also catch me on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, all the topics we've covered on the show, uh, including aging is a choice. I've got, uh, as of right now, three of the uh, three of the columns posted there. We're going to get the other seven or so posted very soon. And so you can catch everything there, as well as downloading three free chapters to my novel, which is the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's a novel by Robert Manny. It's been called The Men's success, the Man's Successor to Sex in the City by Dan Wake, Wakefield, the iconic 20th century author. The book, it's a, it's a rom-com. It's called A Sexy Romp Through the Fast-Moving, High-Stake World of Madison Avenue. It's fast, it's frothy, it's sexy. It's got flawed men and savvy women, and it's about relationships and redemption and friendship and frenemies and a lot of stuff all taking place in the fast-moving world of Madison Avenue in Manhattan, my old hometown in New York City where I spent decades living there and thriving before I moved out to Southern California about four years ago. So we're here for you every week on Guys Guys Radio. We've got a number of really interesting guests coming up. I think you're going to enjoy it. We're going to do a couple of metaphysical skewed shows coming up, and then we've got more folks in the kind of celebrity area. And uh, also we're going to do one coming up on intermittent fasting, which I'm very excited about because I've been doing that for about a year or so since I interviewed uh, an expert on it, and I'm bringing that expert back, Jen Stevens, on the show. We're going to talk about intermittent fasting, and we've got so many other subjects. And again, the purpose of the show, I want to bring you information that you can consider and possibly use to live your best life. It's as simple as that. I'm doing the work for you. I'm scouting around for the right guests. I'm asking the questions I think you want me to ask, and then you determine what you want to do with the information. Sounds like a pretty good deal. It's free. We don't have a lot of advertising on the show, so you get to listen to so much good content, and hopefully coming through my filter, I'm asking those questions that you want. So Guys Guys Radio, I'm here for you. I love doing the show. I want to thank all my guests. I want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris. I want to thank Ryan, my strategy guy. And most of all, I want to thank you, our growing Guys Guys Radio audience. Thank you for being there. I'm going to see you next week. And until then, like I always say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>